And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. 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 If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 137 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today on April 7th, 2019 at 10.16 a.m., I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Nicole Ackman. Hi, friends. And joining us for the first time ever on the Next Best Picture podcast, our newest member of the team. Please welcome everyone, Casey Lee Clark. Hello. I'm so excited. Casey, we're so, so happy to have you on with us. First time ever. So tell everybody that's listening right now who you are, where you come from, what you like, what you don't like. We have some questions also for you, not only just from us here on the team, but from the MVP film community. So the floor is yours. Tell everyone about Casey Lee Clark. So, hi, uh, I'm Casey. Uh, I live in Philly. I recently graduated college about a year ago with theater and film, so you'll also catch me on Next Best Theater eventually. Um, but, I'm, but I'm a big classic film lover. I love independent film. I'm very big in the Criterion Collection. And then I also just love Oscar history, love award season. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we'll answer more questions about me, whatever. You'll learn to figure out my weird likes and whatever <laughs> so uh this is you know like i said before this is very very exciting for us uh casey uh you know i'm a huge fan of the criterion collection myself um i actually think if i remember not one of our initial conversations we were talking about our criterion collections yeah. uh what is one film from your collection uh i guess this is my first question that is a real standout to you well my favorite movie of all time is actually in the collection it's got a really nice release which is silence of the lambs ah I like that Blu-ray that they made for that a lot with that great digipack, and it's got like a bajillion special features, so that's a special one. But I guess yeah. like if one that's a little more obscure, um, I've recently gotten really into the Red Shoes, so that was Oh, man, one. that is great. And let me tell you, a great companion piece with uh, Black Swan, too. Yeah, definitely. All righty. So uh, kicking it over then to Michael. Michael, do you have any questions for uh, Casey, especially considering you both come from the Philly area? I know we're like neighbors here. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Any questions? Oh, I didn't even think of anything. Uh, Matt just asked like you know favorite movies. I'll say let's go back to last year. What was your favorite movie of 2018? So as we're winding down from all that. My favorite was Roma, which I feel like is cliche, but it it just was. I connected to it on such an emotional level. It moved me so much. And yeah, and I thought it was so beautifully made. So that's a good Did you get a chance a to see one. it in theaters? I did. I saw it twice in theaters. I saw it during the Philly Film Festival and then I saw it again when it came to theaters officially. Yeah, it was beautiful on the big screen. Yeah. Nicole? All right. Well, Michael took the question I was going to ask. So oh, instead, no. <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you, Michael. Um, because Casey is also going to be a member of Next Best Theater, I would like to ask her what is your favorite movie musical? My favorite movie musical is actually one that was not like a stage to screen adaptation. There is a stage version, but it's Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh know. my God, yes. 
I'm a <laughs> super big Judy Garland fan. That's like my entire childhood. I think I would just sit and watch all of her movies and sing in the mirror. Um, definitely my favorite, like old Hollywood star. But yeah, that's a favorite of mine. I just also love Technicolor in general. So anything Technicolor musicals of like the 40s and 50s are a big love of mine. You are going to fit in so well here. <laughs> Go back and listen to when we reviewed all the Star is Born movies and where I, oh, I know. was defending the 54 Judy Garland, James Mason version. It's the best. By far. Uh, some fan questions, actually. I'll throw these in right now. Um, we have one from Andrew Purr. For Casey, what is your go-to day-off film that you watch when you are at home sick or just wanting to relax? Um, I mean, I feel like if I was like... I, I try to watch movies that I haven't seen a lot because I feel like there's a lot of blind spots. Yes, I love it. But if there's stuff that like is big favorites of mine, I love Big Lebowski. Um, Amelie is a big one that I love. Uh, again, Mimi and St. Louis. So anything like that that's very like the comfort food movies for me. But I also just, I like thrillers and i also like movies that make me cry so which is most movies so <laughs> uh and ryan mcquaid you've already kind of answered half of his question uh but there's another half to it he asks what is your favorite and least favorite best picture winner so i, I assume favorite is silence of the lambs yeah that would i think i've shown my cards on that one. <laughs> yeah and le- but least favorite though i haven't seen every best picture winner i'm i'll i'll admit that i'm, I'm working on it um, so I don't know if I fully have a least favorite of what I've seen, I guess, besides Crash. I feel like that's the obvious answer. But I will say, I haven't seen all of it, but from what I've seen of Greatest Show on Earth, it just makes me icky. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the clown makeup, I'm not terribly afraid of clowns, but that those ones are a little creepy. And I feel like there's, I'm going to assume there was probably some not great treatment of animals on that one, so... Well, speaking of clowns, one of our uh, trailers actually for this week's episode is uh, the new trailer for Joker, which recently came out, directed by Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, and a slew of others. Let's check out the trailer for this one, give our overall thoughts and reactions. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Though your heart is aching, smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. What? If you smile, to your fear and sorrow, smile. And maybe tomorrow. What's so funny? Freak! (laughs) Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. 
used to think that my life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. Well, this was a surprise. This was not what I was expecting at all. And I am totally here for it because I, oh man, first of all, I don't view Todd Phillips in this sort of way. And granted, we've seen trailers that were very quote unquote cool and had a great degree of hype around them. And then when we saw the final product, the movie itself doesn't fully deliver on the promise of the trailer. But I will admit that the tone, the aesthetic, just the overall vibe that this trailer gave off was something that I was not expecting. I'll yeah. probably go see this one regardless of what you know the reviews are, just because I'm interested in seeing Joaquin's performance and what De Niro is doing there. And I listen to Mark Maron's podcast all the time, and he has a bit role in this movie. So I want to see what he means when he says this is different from the rest of the superhero or comic book films. Well, I think I can already get a glimmer of that in the sense of this looks like it's going to be very character focused, like in that there's been a lot of comparisons to King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. And, you know, for me, Taxi Driver is one of my favorite films of all time, definitely in my top 10. And so if we can get kind of a introspective look at uh, psychosis of this, uh, you know, of, of this character and this, you know, complete breakdown of his mental state and really explore mental illness through him. Uh, I think that if they handle it delicately enough, it could be quite fascinating and give Joaquin Phoenix uh, what he needs to overcome genre biasness and really impress on the critical side of things. And I like the fact that it's its own, from what they've said, it's its own standalone thing. Like we're not going to see Joaquin being the Joker and like all these other movies. I, I feel like, more often than not lately, it's all about like the extended universe and having everything connect. So it's nice to have just a normal standalone film. It also, I, I, I you know, as the cinematography side of me, uh, really loves the the large format uh, and how wide the frame is, both on the top yeah. and bottom. Uh, it kind of helps to give this larger than life character a larger than life scale for him to play on. And as a side note too. I, I kind of got a degree of humor out of seeing Joaquin Phoenix just throw his body around everywhere in this trailer. <laughs> about his bones. <laughs> Seriously, right? He looks so fragile and so skinny. It looks like he's going to just break. <laughs> and he's doing flips and tumbling and, oh, gosh. Stunt Ensemble Award incoming. Yeah. <laughs> like the scene in Unbreakable with Samuel L. Jackson at... Uh... The, the train station when he falls down the stairs yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but overall impressions were very very high on this one and listen i know that there was a degree of uh, backlash to this and i understand completely why um i think it's unfounded until i see the final product at least i don't think that there's no reason to be concerned because i do think that it's an issue in some films today sure but i also don't think that we've seen anything thus far that would indicate that this movie in particular is going to be guilty of that, if that makes sense. That's what I think. I think that people are being like the harbinger of negativity with this, and there's no reason to be right now. Like, like, like we should just be keeping an open mind. Yeah. To be honest, whenever I first heard, like, oh, Joker movie, I was very much not on board because I, of course. Like, I feel like that's the last thing that we need right Not now. to mention Jared Leto's last performance left a bad taste in people's mouths. <laughs> Precisely. And I feel like there is now sometimes this feeling of, like, well... We've had so many 
performances of the Joker, like Heath Ledger and whatnot, that have felt kind of definitive, that what's the point in another one? Um, but after seeing this trailer, I'm actually back on board. Um, and I think that, like, I'm excited to see what, you know, kind of a new side of this character. Not to mention, too, just the, the, I was what I'm looking for here, just the, the angle mm -hmm. they've chosen to take with it is something that I feel like we see more so in these prestige drama films and to take that more into the comic book realm. I, I think that that's interesting because, it, you know, we talked about on our Shazam review most recently about how the superhero genre is incredibly stale and what is making the superhero genre stand out is when they break away from the quote unquote formula and they do their best to try and take other sub genres and mix it into the superhero world. And that's what I feel like they're doing with Joker here. Obviously, he's a super villain that exists within this comic book world, but the genre that they're choosing to explore it with is um, this introspective what looks like a, a drama you know in many many ways it's not an action film <laughs> it doesn't look like at least i don't see any big set pieces or anything like that yeah large special effects batman <laughs> and i only action is him throwing himself around <laughs> exactly so if joaquin phoenix can get us to really really care about this character and does not give a performance that's offsetting in the sense of you know like jared leto's performance was just completely tonally I felt like just completely off. And let's let's all face it here. I, I you know, Joaquin Phoenix is probably other than what? Daniel Day Lewis maybe the best actor working today? Probably. Depends yeah. what type of acting you like. But he's very good. I don't know if I would call him the top for me, but he's very, very good. He's at the top. <laughs> I'm a Tom Hanks person myself, but okay. That's yeah. fair. By the way, one of the best needle drops in a trailer since Sinatra's My Way was used in the trailer for Kingsman Golden Circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got the Jimmy Durante here. So uh, with that said, moving away now from uh, that, we're very much looking forward to seeing that. Also, too, one last thing about the Joker, October release date. Like Venom. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if the performance is well received, could we see could could we see Joaquin getting a nomination? No. Even if it's well received? No. They already give an Oscar really to good. the Joker. They're not going to do it again. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying give him an Oscar. I'm saying give him a nomination. Not at the Oscars. He'll get a Critics' Choice nomination. Okay. Yeah, critics groups would have to really get behind it. But I think it coming out in the second half of the year is a good. I think if it was coming out in the first half of the year, it would probably get forgotten by that point. Yeah. But I think because it'll be fresh in people's minds, and if it's yeah, if it's really critically received and critics groups rally behind that performance, maybe. Okay. Well, speaking of critics groups and end of year, uh, last week's poll here at Next Best Picture, we were asking everyone for Q1, the first three months of the year, what was everyone's favorite film of 2019 so far? We asked everyone to choose up to three movies. We tallied together all of the votes. We have our winners. Ooh. These are the films that people believe are the best films of 2019 so far. With an impressively huge, huge lead at number one with 91 votes, Jordan Peele's Us is number one. Oh, wow. I'm so truly shocked. At <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, with 34 votes, we have How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which is a you know, solid choice. I, I personally still don't think it's that great of a movie until the final 10 minutes, but that's fine. I'll take it. I mean, if you also ask me, I think the first three months of the year have been a little barren. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Uh, in third place with 32 votes right behind How to Train Your Dragon is Captain Marvel. Yes! Hey. <laughs> okay. In, wait, oh, you still haven't seen it, Michael? Well, I, I don't see Marvel movies unless it's like a Black Panther or something, you know. But, the, but that is what this that is what this is, though. This is the Wonder Woman of Marvel. This is culturally important, if that makes sense. Be well, a good feminist, Michael. Go see Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Contribute towards that box office. Bring about change in the industry, Michael. Can I just buy a ticket and say I support it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, isn't that what you said you were going to do? Yeah, I should. I should make sure on that, or make good on that promise. You really should. I expect okay, to see a check in on your Facebook status very soon. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, in fourth place with 17 votes is the documentary film Apollo 11. There we go. (laughs) That that was my number one. You never cease to amaze me. And then in fifth (laughs) place with, hold on, I'm just making sure my math is correct here. Yep, with 15 votes in fifth place is Gloria Bell. Oh. I feel like that's one of those ones that was like a standout in... The first quarter, but by the third quarter, no one is going to have in their top picks. Like Gloria who? Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I think the only person on the pod last week who said that they were probably going to do their best to keep it in their top 10 towards the end of the year was Deanne. Yeah. She compared it to uh, Tully, uh, you know, year before. And, you know, in many ways, I can totally under- see that comparison there. A few write-ins that we received. Uh, Long Day's Journey into Night. Uh, Fire. Or Fryer, I can't. I, I don't know how you pronounce it. Fire. That Fire, that documentary, it was it was interesting. <laughs> Paddleton, the aftermath. Happy Death Day to you. Got some write-ins. <laughs> uh, we also got a write-in for what is this? The standoff at Sparrow Creek. I have not heard of that. That's something to add to the list and investigate what that's all about. Did anything receive zero votes? I'm really curious. Let's see. Zero votes. Anything? The upside. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So it looks like, yeah, nothing got zero votes. There were a few things that got one vote, though, like Captive State got one vote. Five Feet Apart got one vote. The Mustang got one vote. The upside got two votes. Who are you two people? Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly fans I'm, of the show. I'm not even sure they would vote for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, for this week's poll... Uh, we are asking everyone in anticipation for Hellboy coming out this weekend, which are your favorite franchise reboots of all time? So these are reboots, not remakes. And so we have a long list of films here. I'm going to just name off a couple of them. Batman Begins, Casino Royale, Ghostbusters, Kong Skull Island, Man of Steel, Power Rangers, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tomb Raider, Nicole, has there been a franchise reboot in the last couple of years that has really impressed you? I, I'm trying to remember what I voted for because there honestly hasn't really been one. Well, I guess, I mean, like would Spider-Man Homecoming count? Yes, technically yeah. technically speaking, even though the character does have like a 20-minute, you know, kind of a uh, right. sequence in Civil War. Tom Holland is still a completely new Spider-Man. So I'm going to say that because... Uh, if anyone listened, I think on the last podcast, I talked about my newfound love for Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, and that's really the only reboot that I've really enjoyed. And I really 
think that they brought something fresh, not just to the main character in that, but to a lot of the surrounding characters, like Aunt May, and they really re-examined what a lot of things meant within the Spider-Verse, if you will. I was going to say, uh, you know, speaking of Spider-Verse, if they make a sequel to um, Into the Spider-Verse, I would have to say that Into the Spider-Verse, I would consider that to be a franchise reboot. Yeah. Because that was totally a let's wipe the slate clean and start all over kind of a movie, (laughs) you know? Basically, I think Spider-Man's doing really well and nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Casey, what about you? I'd probably say Casino Royale. It's probably my favorite of the Bond films. I've just, I've seen it so much. It's always entertaining to me. I think Mads Mikkelsen is such a great villain in that. And yeah, it, literally reinvented bond for everyone and re-kickstarted that franchise so i'll go with that one nice good choice michael well i was all set to say mary poppins returns yesterday (laughs) until matt and i started going back and forth about what makes something a sequel or a reboot or a remake and it you know it was like a slippery slope whereas spider-man homecoming was i thought a follow-up to civil war but then but Matt it's told still me, a new Spider-Man. That it, 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 it's it's a gray area. I agree. It's not a direct sequel. It's, the Marvel films are hard to categorize in that regard because I could then say, well, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is a sequel to Thor: of The Dark World, and it's like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> you know. Well, that's the so. important thing is that like Tom Holland Spider-Man does not acknowledge Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so then I was thinking about it more, and it's like, okay, I guess Mary Poppins Returns, it was marketed as a sequel. It is a sequel, even though it's different cast members, even though right. they do come back. Yeah. So th- throw that out of the window. That's not the answer here. And I was thinking, are there any reboots that I truly, truly love? No. No. There was none. So I, just for the sake of giving an answer here of the movies that you had on this poll, I really do like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Yeah. As a movie. I don't know. That it's necessarily a franchise. I know we keep hearing, oh, we're going to get a sequel or a prequel. And that's the thing, right? It's like, when is that going to come out? So, whether or not that happens, whether or not it counts as a franchise, as a movie based on previous material, I'll say that. Okay, that's fair. I don't want to say Casino Royale as well, although that probably would be my answer, but I will share a little bit of love with Rise of the Planet of the Apes and what Andy Serkis did for that character of Caesar and taking us on that emotional journey through through those three films. Um, His co-star in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I will not mention on the podcast here, but (laughs) what Andy Serkis did uh, with that character really was something truly special. It helped to give those movies a unique uh, perspective and really ushered in, I felt like, another new era of performance capture uh, in terms of taking that seriously as an art form in terms of acting. So... Yeah, I'll I'll get I'll give a little bit towards that, and of course you know we got to mention you know we got to mention Batman Begins because coming from Batman and Robin to that mm. that was that was huge, <laughs> you know, substantial upgrade if I've ever seen one before. So, but it's very interesting how I feel like we're going to continue to see this sort of thing, especially within the MCU, because with Avengers Endgame coming up now in about what is it now two weeks time three weeks two something weeks like from that Friday. Oh my god. Whew. Getting chills just thinking about it. I got my tickets. Did everyone else get their tickets? After a long day of trying to get tickets, I finally got one. <laughs> oh man. I woke up at 5 a.m. to get tickets and I got them right away. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that dedicated. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure I got there as soon as humanly possible because I don't get 
invited to see these movies early. So I was like, all right, I got to get there Thursday night, earliest showing possible. Got to get it. Got to get it. You know, and I and I got it. So well, I was like, I have to get a ticket so I can be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the reason why I bring this up is because with those characters possibly coming to an end in terms of either their lifespan or just simply their contracts. Um, I'll be very curious to see if Marvel decides in a few years time to reboot those characters with all new actors, or are they going to just keep continuing down the path of introducing new characters to stories we've never heard before and keep on expanding this universe with this existing kind of a timeline. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I I hope (laughs) That they just keep going because there is like more content to be made, even, you know, from the comic books per se. Sure. Um, especially like with Captain America, there's a way that they can keep that going even without Chris Evans. But I feel like if they were going to remake it, it probably wouldn't happen for a solid chunk of time. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on from that, uh, I'm just really curious. Is anybody here at all excited to at least see Hellboy? Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. I was not excited at all. I couldn't care less. And then they released that second trailer that had him riding like the dragon with the flaming sword and the rock music and everything. And I was just like, okay, this looks batshit insane. And I'm kind of here for it now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even see the Del Toro Hellboy movies. <laughs> oh, really? I, I was, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, same. You know, he did bring he did bring something interesting to those. So I've seen parts of them. Yeah. <laughs> The, the Golden Army is actually pretty good. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together, we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiacy Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I up. wonder shut who up. the cat God damn it, Next up, second trailer for this episode is a film that I had the privilege of seeing at Sundance this year and will be uh, distributed by Netflix and also, too, could possibly bring ah, High School Musical's own Zac Efron his first Oscar nomination, playing Ted Bundy, of all people. It is a week of trailers for Psychopaths here on the Next Best Picture podcast. This is a trailer for a very, very long title, which I wish they had renamed, but hey, here it goes. Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Try to fit that on the marquee. Do you remember the night we met? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have been witness to the unspeakable horrors of the defendant's heinous crimes. You have seen ghastly injuries, smashed in faces, broken jaws. Will the defendant please rise? For years, I've carried this guilt that I'm to blame for everything. (laughs) If only I hadn't trusted you. promise you'll never leave me, Liz. It's about another missing girl, isn't it? Ted, did you do it? No. We've got a very disturbed, sick individual. 
You'll be the first nationally televised trial in history. You look nice, partner. I'm disguised as an attorney today. <laughs> I get very scared, but, you know, he's also really dreamy. There are things you don't know that will shock you beyond your worst nightmares. It's all a lie. It is a capital murder case, and you are skating on thin ice. This is about catching a monster. I wish I could take it all back. What about me? I love you. Get out! The killings were extremely wicked, shockingly evil, vile. Did you do these things, Ted? This is all going to end. It's only going to end with the truth. Gotta love the title being said in the trailer. <laughs> right? <laughs> they have to justify why that, that is the title. So it's like, all right, let's make sure we mention it in the, in the trailer so people understand why yeah. this it, is it such a long title. Bothered by the fact that the word vile doesn't have a modifier on it. <laughs> it's like you've got this pattern and then they break it and I'm like, oh, God damn it. Like... That's funny. Now, this is just the abbreviated title, by the way. It was originally titled Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, Extremely Loud, and Incredibly Close. Oh, my dear God. <laughs> I hate that movie. Ugh, in any event, uh, so, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm being completely honest when I say this. After seeing Robbie Malik win an Oscar for playing Freddie Mercury, I full-heartedly believe that with the right campaign from Netflix, I think Zac Efron could be in the awards conversation for this. With a May 3rd release date? Listen, the only reason why I'm saying that is because of the Netflix money. They will probably push it hard, starting all the way, you know, early as possible and through it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're the reason why I think it could happen. But the thing is, with Netflix films that we've seen in the Oscar conversation, they've gotten a theatrical push and a lot of fanfare around them. And they tend to go later in the season when we see all the big Oscar contenders. They don't seem to be doing that here. This is just going to drop on Netflix. It's going to be something that people are going to want to see, I guess, after they go to see Endgame, the next movie with all the buzz the following week. And this will drop, as they tend to do, have a trailer a couple weeks before, have the movie come out maybe three weeks after. It'll have buzz for two weeks and sort of disappear. I think you were... are underestimating the appeal of Zac Efron. Oh, yeah. This is definitely <laughs> going to be one of those, like, maybe not necessarily with... Yeah, maybe not necessarily with the film community, but with, like, the way Bird Box did of, like, becoming memes and just everybody seeing it that has a Netflix account. Oh, I could definitely say that. For sure. Of course, yeah, I get that. There's a of women who listen to true crime pro podcasts and have loved Zac Efron since they were, like, 11 that, and I, I, can, I feel like I can say this because I have many friends who fall into this category that are going to love this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I think it is going to have buzz, and I think it's going to have the kind of buzz that could possibly keep it alive. And I think it's a chance to see Zac Efron doing some serious acting, uh, which he doesn't get to do all that often. I've been saying for a while now that I think Zac Efron is an okay actor. I don't think he's a great actor. What I foresee possibly with this is I could see this turning a few heads the same way Channing Tatum turned some heads with Foxcatcher. Maybe. Yeah. Like I could see it as a, 
a new path for him as an actor. Um, it's very, very possible he starts maybe making smarter career choices after this. Because that's the thing with Zach is like, I feel like everything that he's done, maybe with the exception of The Greatest Showman, it, because honestly, like that was a movie that the success of that film, I, I don't think anybody anticipated that film to be as big as it was. Zach's career has mostly been what? The Neighbors movies, High School Musical, and what? Hairspray. What's Dirty Grandpa. 17 again. 17 again. I don't remember that. It was I 10 mean, years ago. He's, he's actually again. done somewhat well to have come out of the Disney Channel like franchise. And we're this much farther along, and he's still acting. Like He's still getting roles, which isn't something that can be said for everyone from that group. <laughs> At least he's not on Rent Live. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he's getting the roles, though, for his talent. I think he's getting the roles because of the pretty boy status that he holds. I mean, yes, but, like, I I feel like sometimes there's something to be said for building a career on that. Like, Sure, yeah. You've got it. Especially in this age of social media. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I understand. Um, but I will say, though, I'm, I'm like, I'm being totally serious when I say this. I genuinely believe that, A, this is the best performance he's ever given. B, I think that if Netflix does have the right push and he is the kind of name that and also at the right point in his career where he either will come close to the nomination or he's going to get it like to me in my in my eyes, this is Golden Globe best actor drama nomination (laughs) written all over it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It also, like, because I guess we haven't really said this yet, I thought that the trailer looked awesome. I wasn't sure how I felt about a Ted Bundy film at first. Um, Because obviously, like, there is some issues within our culture. I do think about, like, the romantization of serial killers. Um, But Ted Bundy is, like, a very special case in that, like, the whole point is that he was charming and attractive and whatever. And I think that from... if. If the tone of the movie is like the tone of this latest trailer, then I'm super in. You know, it's interesting because going into this, I actually thought this was going to be like a very sadistic, violent and gory film. And I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that it was actually this love story between him and Lily Collins, um, where quite honestly, throughout the entire movie, Zac Efron was pulling off this very believable performance where you, the audience, was like, wow, he's actually making me doubt for a second that he actually did these things. (laughs) Oh my God. And that's what I thought was so brilliant about his performance was that the charm level and the sincerity and believability and everything that was that he was doing, even though the evidence was piling up against him that yes, he did these horrible things, but he still maintained his innocence throughout it all. It, It was a very, very good balancing act that I felt like they told very well. The only thing that was a little distracting and maybe comes off this way in the trailer too, I'm not sure. John Malkovich as the, as the judge, I just kept on waiting throughout the whole movie for him to just be like, sit down in your chair, fuck face. (laughs) (laughs) As John Malkovich always does. Oh, man. But yeah, no, the movie's good. I, I can't wait for you all to see it. Um, has anyone here watched the documentary uh, of the tapes that released on Netflix a little while on back? On my list. Yeah. Oh, I'm working on it. All right. Well, uh, moving on from that and sticking with some of the Netflix news here for a second, we do have some news to go over really quickly here. Uh, so we just found out this week that Amy Adams is actually set to star in Ron Howard's uh, Hillbilly Elegy for Netflix. That's an Oscar 
part if I've ever seen one. I feel like anything with Amy Adams tied to it is an Oscar part if no, we've ever seen one. Like this novel was like a huge, huge thing back in 2016. Many people say it was like the novel of the 2016 election and the mysterious, you know, white working class middle America types. And it was very, very big. And there were a lot of articles written about Hillbilly Elegy. But now Ron mm-hmm. Howard doing this film for Netflix with a huge, huge part for Amy Adams to sink her teeth into. You know, if Netflix pay, plays their cards right, this could be the one that, you know, really does a lot for her. We have uh, also found out that the free solo directors are in early talks to direct Helicopter Heist, it's called, for Netflix, and that Jake Gyllenhaal is set to produce and star in it. Um, everyone here saw Free Solo, right? I still haven't. I <gasps> so. I know. <gasps> it's the one doc I missed. All the docs. I it's streaming right now. You could you could totally watch it at right it's this very moment. Yeah. At this very moment. All right, I'm turning. <laughs> Everyone pause. <laughs> we'll be right it's back. Great. It's really great. I think when you watch it though, you'll totally understand and realize how great these uh, directors are at building both tension, laying the foundations for character work to get you invested in the story. And also to what they were able to pull off with the cinematography to capture um, that that climb is just an extraordinary feat of filmmaking. So bringing all of that talent over into the uh, non-documentary uh, fictional realm, I think is going to be really, really exciting for them. So I, I can't wait to see what that produces, especially when you have Jake Gyllenhaal set to your project. I mean, even when the movie's not that good, like Southpaw, he always gives 100%, I feel like. That's Southpaw, Absolutely. I forgot the movie existed. See, that's what I mean. <laughs> But he's phenomenal in it. Same thing with like Demolition and a few others that he's been a part of that, that you know, yeah, but he was great though. I mean, can you guys think of an actively bad Jake Gyllenhaal performance in recent years? Uh, I'd have to see a list. (laughs) (laughs) Prince of of Persia, maybe. Wait, what? Well, no, you were saying like he always gives it his all, whether it's like I've, I haven't seen Velvet Buzzsaw, but I've heard crazy things. So at least he's, you know, he's not phoning it in. Let's put it he, that way. He does. He yeah. tries something different in Velvet Buzzsaw, and I give him credit for that. So, yeah, you're right. He's not phoning it in. Depending on who you ask, you could say Okja. Hmm. Yeah, but that was also something wildly different, too, that's unlike yeah. anything else in his filmography. I like that movie. That was good. Uh, other news, Christopher Nolan is going to be working with hereditary editor Jennifer Lame for his upcoming film, which we still don't really know much about. A Philly native. So it's interesting that Christopher Nolan is actually bringing on some new collaborators. Uh, Lee Smith is moving on to uh, different projects at this time. He's doing the uh, 1917 with Sam Mendes. Which we also found out this week. This is, oh man, this is interesting. So this uh, we got a cast for this film. We know it's World War One. We know it's Sam Mendes, uh, possibly his next big, you know, Oscar contender. And to give a little bit more evidence of that, it's being shot by Roger Deakins, and they're apparently exploring how to shoot the entire film in one single take. It's going to be like a day in the life movie of a soldier during World War One. So it's, I guess, everything they experience in this one day, maybe is during one big battle, but. It sounds absolutely amazing. And to have Roger Deakins behind the camera uh, working with Sam Mendes again, you know, when they did uh, Skyfall, it was breathtaking. Roger Deakins did amazing work on Revolutionary Road. You know, Sam Mendes has such a good eye. And him working with Deakins again, you know, this could be Deakins' second Oscar as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one. I thought it was going to be a while before I was ex- as excited for a film as I was last year for Mary Queen of Scots. Um 
But then someone said a World War One drama directed by another former artistic director of the Donmar Warehouse. Hmm. And I was in. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. By the way, to so go back to Jennifer. play on Broadway right now. So, like, I trust this man. To go back to Jennifer Lame for a second, you know, many people uh, were saying, oh, she's the editor of Hereditary and uh, she'll be working with Nolan. She has a really uh, neat filmography. She's only been editing films, it looks like, since 2012. But she does a lot of the Noah Bombach movies. She started with Francis Ha, then she did While We're Young, Mistress America. But she did some really nice work also. She wasn't nominated, but on Manchester by the Sea. It's very interesting, though, because I hear that filmography and I don't immediately think of Christopher Nolan. Well, it'll be interesting to see how she works with this type of material. But just thinking of her as an editor and the work that she does, you know, Francis Ha was a movie. There's a lot of editing there. It's not big, flashy editing. Yeah, but, you know, you have these short scenes, and then they cut one to another, and they're just pieced together all within eighty-eight minutes. So basically, an back, editor. <laughs> flashback, lots of flashbacks interwoven to what we're seeing in these uh, present-day scenes. And we all know that Christopher Nolan loves his flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, apparently, John David Washington said he was reading the script, and they locked him in a room for two hours to read it, and he said it was just the most amazing thing. So, if we're going by his word, there's reason to be excited here. Yeah, I mean, and also, too, it's, you know, not like Christopher Nolan has a track record or anything like that, but, you know, just saying. (laughs) Uh, And then also, too, in other news, uh, speaking of new collaborations, Adam McKay and Will Farrell are deciding to go their separate ways as producing partners. friends, but, you know, different types of projects. You know, I have to say, two back-to-back directing Oscars and an Oscar win for Best Adapted Screenplay, and then you realize you're somehow tied to Holmes and Watson, might make you rethink a couple of things with your career. Well, you know, they had a very good run doing some really good films together. Sure. I mean, Step Step Brothers is a film that's only grown in esteem over time, honestly. Talladega Nights is my favorite comedy of the 21st century. That's a genuinely funny film. Absolutely. (laughs) I just love that all the headlines made it sound like they were getting divorced. (laughs) 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 Uncoupling. Uh, You know, you know that if they were they were given an opportunity to do like an SNL skit thing, they would probably reenact a scene of them breaking up like in a very overly dramatic way. Oh man. Like Will Farrell would just be like, I'm so done with you and just like (laughs) slam the door on him. I don't know. They've had some very good uh projects together i think anchorman is one of the funniest movies ever made oh yeah i love anchorman i think the other guys is really underrated you know that that got a lot of buzz when it opened but it seems like in the years since everyone's like oh yeah that movie happened but it's actually very very funny it's very smart too actually uh it's a film that i remember writing off initially but then i saw it finally and i was like oh this actually isn't that bad (laughs) that was one of the first post uh bernie madoff movies Mm -hmm. that was great uh talladega nights i think is a better representation of 2000s america than vice Yep, <laughs> I'd agree with that. Especially that specific time in the 2000s. I think yeah. it's perfect. So uh, it was a great partnership. And apparently they're still good friends. They're just deciding to go off in their own separate ways and do different films. And very happy for both of them. They had a great run. Yep. Well, Michael, you and I had a really great run and we're still going to be friends, but I have to go my separate <laughs> ways. I'm really sorry oh, to inform God. you of this. <laughs> All right, and now to close everything out for this episode. I'm sorry, I know I'm breezing through this week. I uh, I unfortunately have some things I got to take care of today. I wish I could have given uh, Casey a little bit more uh, this week on the on you know on this week's episode, but I do have to run unfortunately. So we got to get out of here pretty quick this week. Uh, there is a lot of other stuff to look forward to uh, coming up here on the next Best Picture podcast. We are going to be starting our Game of Thrones uh, for next best series uh, every week. 
uh, through the next six weeks. We also have uh, the 2015 retrospective of all the reviews that we're doing for that. And of course, we also have some other goodies coming up with Next Best Theater, which Casey, we're very, very much looking forward to your contributions there as well. So we're really, really happy to have you on the team and we uh, look forward to many more with you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I'm so excited for this opportunity. Everybody's been so nice and welcoming. I got over 100 followers on Twitter in one day, which was very overwhelming, but exciting. (laughs) I'm just really excited for all of this. Everybody seems so wonderful and looking forward. Happy to have you on board, Casey. So excited. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, with that said, Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Nicole? I am at Nicole Ackman 16, just about everywhere. And Casey Lee Clark, one more time for the people in the back. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 137 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support. So if you head on over to iTunes, rate us five stars, leave us a comment. It actually helps people to discover our show. So if you really like the show and you want to see us grow, head on over there it doesn't take you anything to just rate us five stars and also to the comment just you know make us feel good give us some positive reinforcement tell us what you like i would really appreciate that and once again all that podcast content that i mentioned before head on over to patreon where for one dollar minimum a month you can get all that exclusive podcast content that is coming up we are very much looking forward to giving you the reviews of the 2015 films uh, that were voted on by all of you game of thrones other television series next best theater you can get it all right here on the next best picture podcast thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time